Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coastline Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message will equip, encourage, and edify you in your journey of life. We'd love to connect with you. Please email us at info at coastlinecc.org. And for more information about our church and our services, visit coastlinecc.org. Now let's open our hearts and open God's Word. Have you ever thought about your natural, your primal, I guess is a, is a kind of a funny word, but that inner fear that we all have that's built into every one of us. All of us, no matter who you are, no matter how old or young you are, whether you lo- know the Lord or not, we all have a natural, primal fear built into us. And at the core root of all of our fears, all of our worries, although there's obvious variety in our struggles, variety in our fears, uh, variety in our stresses, it's just, it doesn't look the same for any of us. Even though there's variety there and there's differences in the details of our fears, the common and the core question for all of them is this, will I have enough? Will I have enough? And with every core fear comes also for all of us core problems, problems that we all face, struggles that we all have. And the, and the thought there is not, will I have enough, but we admit I don't have enough. I can think of issues and struggles in my life where I got to a point when I finally was like, I, I, I don't have enough. I can't make it. I can't do it. I don't have enough. I'm not getting what I need from fill in the blank. My marriage is not giving me what I need. My kids raising a family, my job, the, my bank account, uh, whatever it may be, none, nothing in my life is giving me, is fulfilling uh, this hungering heart. We have core fears. Will I have enough? We have core problems. I don't have enough. But then we also have core hungers. Not just will I have enough, I don't, ha- I don't have enough, but then this core hunger of how can I get enough? What do I have to do to get enough, to satisfy this insatiable hunger in my heart. The main thought we're going to pull from John chapter 6 in this account of Jesus uh, feeding the 10,000 and, and even beyond that is the word sufficiency. Enough. Enough. The truth is sometimes, I know for me, we have problems, issues, needs where We don't even get to those questions of enough. Will I have enough? I don't have enough. Because the problem is already so big, it's already so mountainous that we can't even begin to climb it. Before we even ask questions like, will I have enough? We already recognize, like, this this is impossible. Have you ever had an impossible problem, church? I I think we can all agree that, that each one of us have had problems that seem impossible. If we took the time this morning to go around the room, we could probably all talk about an impossible problem that was in our life. A lot of problems, a lot of my problems and your problems as well, we, what do we try to do? We try to feverishly fix it and, 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 and you know, uh, calculate and try to figure things out and do what we think we need to do. But some problems are just beyond all that. We don't even really try because we're like, that's just too impossible. And the story we're going to read in John chapter 6 this morning is a story of an impossible problem. It's a story of an impossible problem. 
You see, remember, the author John, this is the gospel of John we're going through. The author John, not John the Baptist, he was a preacher, he was a different character, but the author John, what's his mission as he wrote the gospel of John? Uh, his mission was to, to reveal the true identity of Jesus as the Son of God who was God. That was his mission. That's why we all these accounts uh, and stories of miracles and, and everything like that is here because he's trying to say Jesus is who he said he was. He is God. Because, and, and that's what Jesus is going to do in this story and what he does in every story. He's trying to say, I'm God. I am who I said I am. Because the answer to that question strikes at our core fears and our core problems and our core hungers. The answer to the question, who is Jesus, provides the ultimate answer to all of your modern-day 2022 problems and fears and hungers. The answer to that question, who is Jesus? And this story is a story of how Jesus handles our problems. Anybody else got problems today? Can you just raise your hand up? Come on. Let's, 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 let's cooperate today. I, I, need, I need to know that you're here this morning. I know we're tired. I know it's been a hot and long, tiring week. And it's, don't worry. Listen, I don't have AC in the front yard at my house, so it's going to be hot today, too. But let's work together here. How many got problems this morning? We all got problems, right? Yes. This story is about how Jesus handles our problems, our impossible problems, and how he fills our hungers. Because here's the truth, church, and I want to, I want to show you this, this quote real quick before we, um, before we jump into the, the scriptures. This is kind of the, the, the whole core of the whole message. The whole, the whole message is this. When I trust Jesus, when I trust Jesus, there are no unmet needs, unresolved problems, or unsatisfied hungers. If you leave with anything today, church, if you leave with anything today, leave with this. Take this to heart. Believe it and understand it. When I trust Jesus, there are no unmet needs, no unresolved problems, and no unsatisfied hungers. That's what we're going to talk about today as we see this story. Now, this story in John chapter 6, this miracle of Jesus creating food and just this supernatural miracle of feeding these tens of thousands of people with just a small lunch, this is one of two miracles that is listed in all four Gospels. Okay, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story of Jesus and those four, four different authors. But there's only two miracles that are in all four of those. One of them is this. Does anybody know the other one? You want to take a guess at it? What's the other miracle that's in all four? No, no, not that one. I'll tell you. It's the resurrection. So it's, you know, it's pretty important. The resurrection's in all four Gospels and the feeding of the 10,000, which really was just 10,000 men, so with women and children, probably 20,000, 25,000 people here. So we're going to look at this, this uh, scripture today. Let's look at, if you have your Bibles, please go to John chapter 6 and verse number 1, and we'll read through. We're going to kind of pick it apart as we go. Um, so we're not going to read straight through like we sometimes do. We're going to kind of go verse by verse. I know the words are small. Maybe you can't read it, so grab your phone, whatever. That's fine. I'll know you're listening. John 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Remember last week, the last few weeks of messages, remember Jesus was in Capernaum and he, he healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. Well, now he's traveled again and he's gone over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Jesus is trying to get away because he's getting mobbed. People want to be around him. He's trying to get away from them. Verse 2. And a great multitude 
followed him. John 6, 2. Because they saw, well, look at this. Because they saw his miracles, which he did on them, that were diseased. It, it gives the, John gives the reason why they're following him. They're not following him because they say, I believe that Jesus is God and he is who he says he was and, and he's our real Messiah. No, they were following Jesus. These great multitudes were following him for very pragmatic reasons. Because he was doing miracles. It literally says that. They followed him because they saw his miracles, that he gave the diseased health and made the lame to walk and gave the blind sight. They're following because of his miracles, because he's kind of famous and he's very entertaining. They don't yet see him as God. And that's what he's trying to, that's what he's trying to get the message across to them. Jesus is trying to say, listen, I'm God, God in the flesh. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. They don't see him as God yet. They may see him as a, a political messiah. Someone that's going to rescue them from the Roman tyranny. And the truth is, church, if we're honest, most of us came to Jesus for pragmatic reasons. So I'm not necessarily downing. Listen, you know what, when I got saved, what my thought was? I don't want to go to hell. I want Jesus to save my soul and forgive my sins because I don't want to be separated from God my whole life. It's a pretty pragmatic reason of just like, I don't want to go to hell. And, and people, when they look for Jesus, like, my life's a mess. I need Jesus. I need Jesus to fix my life, Right? So I'm not downing them, but let's remember. But Jesus, that's not why he came, just so that, that those were our reasons to go find him. Verse 3, and Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now, again, this miracle is in all four Gospels, and every author, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, gives different details of the story that aren't in every other thing. So you, if you pull details from every book, every Gospel, you kind of get a fuller story. Some people think that this this miracle was just kind of an instantaneous thing, but another, and I believe the book of Mark, when it tells this story, man, Jesus was with these people and taught them all day. So there was a kind of a long, long day. But why is Jesus going to the mountain? It doesn't say it in John, the book of John, but in another book we find out that Jesus, Jesus' friend, Jesus' advocate, his cousin, John the Baptist, who we talked about, I don't know, 20 messages ago, who was the preacher that said, hey, this is the Son of God, the Lamb of God, which take away the sins of the world, and and John kind of went before Christ and prepared the way. John the Baptist had just been killed by Herod the king, by, beheaded for, for being who he was. This is Jesus' PR guy. This is his cousin. This is family, his friend. And Jesus is grieving. Jesus is sad. That's pretty you know, brutal news to hear. He's grieving. He wants to get away because he just needs some time to, to just grieve. But these people are following him. They saw him get on a boat and go across the Sea of Galilee. And obviously, someone else, and they followed him and went around. And some walked and some probably took a boat. And they followed him. And when he got off the boat on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they're already there waiting. They're tracking him. They're following him. And the book of Matthew telling this story says this, that when Jesus gets up to that mountain, up to that hill, with his disciples sitting there grieving, he looks out and sees these thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are following him. And granted, not for the best reasons. And the Bible says in the book of Matthew that when he saw those thousands of people, it says Jesus went forth, saw the great multitude, and was moved with compassion toward them and healed their sick. So Jesus, in the midst of his own grief, losing a family member, losing a friend, losing an advocate, he looks out and sees the people and is moved with compassion. The word moved in the Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, literally means an inner pain in your stomach. Like, you ever been so grieved, so upset that 
it's not just an emotional thing, but it's a physical feeling of just you're so moved. And just This is Jesus here looking at these people. And he sees them. And he's moved with compassion. Church, most religions, well, the truth is no religion in the world today gives you a compassionate God. And you may say, well, you're a Christian. Isn't that Christianity? I mean, I mean religion in the, in the modern sense of religion. You know, what, what, we, what people talk about religion. The truth is, what we believe, what we preach, what, who we are is a relationship with Jesus Christ to the Father. But religion in the, in the modern sense of what, you know what I'm saying, we don't need to, you know, get into that. You know what I mean by that. It, it, it's, it's a hard labor, a work that I have to do to appease an angry God. At the, at, the, at the top of every religion, at the top of the ladder, is an angry God that wants to be appeased. And that's not the Savior that we have. Now, yes, is there, is, does God have righteous anger? And that's a whole other discussion. Yes, I'm not talking about it. You know what I'm talking about. Jesus had compassion. In religion, you work your way to God. i got to keep doing this so that he's happy with me. But in the gospel, when the truth of God, the Bible says in John 1, verse 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. When the truth of God, the word of God, came into a human body, God came in human form as Jesus Christ, and it says we, we beheld his face as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When we look in the face of God as a man, Jesus Christ, we don't see this angry, spiteful vengeance. No, we see compassion. We see grace. We see mercy. And these people are following him. They're tracking him for very selfish and pragmatic reasons. For the food that he's going to give, for the healings, for the miracles. Give me what I need now, Jesus. I saw you do it to him. Do it for me now. And even though Jesus knows their reasoning, even though Jesus knows uh, why they're following him, not because they believe he is who he said he was, but because they want to see the magic show. They want the miracles. He knows all that. And even though he knows that, he loves them. And he sees them and he's moved with compassion. And the Gospel of Mark, when it tells this story, says the reason why he had that compassion was because they were like a sheep having no shepherd. And it says, and he taught them many things. Verse number four says, And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. Another feast that Jesus, was, we, last week he was, it was during a feast as well. Verse 5, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, like I said, another one of the Gospels says that this was later in the day, kind of in the dinner time. And they'd been together all day. He had taught them. This wasn't a planned event. Like our picnic, we've been talking about it for four weeks, you know. Hey, come on, we're going to provide the food. This wasn't like that. This was very spontaneous. There was no flyers, no Facebook event. Okay, nothing like that. Now, hey, come on over to the hillside, and Jesus is going to be there doing stuff, and we're going to have hot dogs. It was nothing like that. This was spontaneous. This was out of nowhere. A long and hot day, and Jesus looks at Philip, who was from this area, and says, hey, Phil, where can we get food for 25,000 people? Kind of a crazy question. No, there's no BJ's, no stop and chop over there. This is a very rural part of Israel. He says, hey, Phil, where can we get food for all these thousands of people, probably screaming kids, and maybe there's some fights breaking out. You never, just never know. With 25,000 people, that's a lot. And Jesus looks to Philip and asks him that question. And verse 6 is awesome because it's kind of funny. Jesus is kind of funny sometimes. He says, it says in verse 6, and this he said to prove him. For he himself knew 
what he would, would do. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He already knew he was going to feed all of them. He already knew he was going to do a, a supernatural miracle and feed these people. But he asks Philip the question anyway. Now, they had seen him do miracles. Philip and all the disciples, his followers, had seen him do miracles, had seen him do great and mighty things, and, and, and had followed him you know, through it all so far. And he asked Philip this question. You see, Philip's response, you know, these guys, these disciples are just as dense as we are sometimes. They really are. They really are. Jesus will solve one problem for me in my life. He'll solve a problem for me in my life, a big one, whatever. He'll take care of something in my life after I bring it to him. And the very next day, it could be a problem just like the one from before. And what do I do? I stress out. I panic. I try to figure it out. I, I forget that he's already done it. Jesus could solve a problem a hundred times in a row and on the hundred and first problem I'm still like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? What am I going to do? Oh no. Oh, the world is ending. Lord, where are you? Why? Why? Why me? Woe is me. Listen, the right answer for Philip when Jesus said, how are we going to get food for all these people? Philip's answer should have been, hey, however you want, Lord, you can do it. You could create food right out of nothing. The right answer is faith. The right answer is trust, but just like us, what does Philip do? Philip starts doing calculations. Verse 7, it says, Philip answered him, 200 penny worth uh, uh, of bread is not sufficient. It's not enough for them that every one of them may take a little. What he's saying is we could work for 200 days wages, and even still everyone wouldn't even be able to take a little bite. Another account in one of the Gospels says that during this time, Jesus had sent his disciples through the crowd to kind of see what food, if there was any food even there. So they were walking around. So Philip's like doing calculations. The other ones are looking all around. And, 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 and man, they just, Jesus knew what he was going to do. And he still puts his disciples to work because he's trying to see if even they believe in his power. Verse 8. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, verse 9, there is a lad here with uh, pretty much a Lunchable this, kid, this kid's got, all right? Anybody ever had a Lunchable? Those things are like barely edible. Come on. They really are. They're just, they're just, it's like five crackers, a piece of ham, a piece of cheese, and an Oreo. Like, and it's like, well, like a buck fifty, probably like seven fifty now, really, with all this inflation. But, but this kid doesn't really have much. By the way, have you ever had the pizza Lunchables? I used to, oh, yes. I loved it as a kid now, and I, my kid ate one, and I was like, smelled it. I'm like, I can't believe I ever ate that. No wonder I have so many problems in my life now. <laughs> it's just crazy. But this kid, Andrew finds this boy, this lad here, okay, who, who's, who probably wanted to see the action too. And before he left his little house there in Israel, his mom was probably like, hey, get back here. Did you pack your lunch? I'm going to get you something together real quick. Here's some fish. Here's some. And she's probably like, oh, what? this is like a Mother's Day message, really. His mom, take care of this kid. And he brings this lunch with him. And it says, there's a lad here. Andrew says, here's a kid here. He's got five barley loaves, two small fishes, probably, you know, pickled or dried fish. But what are they among so many? And the truth is there's not a lot of details in any of the gospel accounts as to how this came about. We don't know if, if you know, Andrew went and said, like, hey, kid, you know, <laughs> is that like a, what's in that bag? What's in the bag, man? <laughs> what's going on? Hey, uh, Jesus needs that, so... Come on, like, you don't know if he like, kind of snatched it out or if the kid willingly did. We don't really know what happened. But all we know is that they bring this kid to Jesus and say, here's a lad here. And it's, it's comical, really. Like, he's got five loaves of bread 
and two fishes, but what are they, like, like that, that doesn't even, like, that's impossible, right? That's impossible. Verse 10, Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. Grass only grew in this part of Israel a short time of the year, so it's, it's kind of a beautiful picture here. Think about it. Try to imagine it. So the men sat down in a number about 5,000. So there's 5,000 men. Add the women and children. You're talking like thousands and thousands of people. And Jesus, look at this, took the loaves, this, this little boy's lunch. And when he had given thanks. Now, now, now pause for a moment. Picture this. Another gospel says that when they sat them down, they set them down in groups of 50 and 100. So they're all spread out, all organized, all this thing. And, and Jesus took this tiny little lunch and gave thanks. It, it, it's, it's a habit of Jesus we see in the gospels of him giving thanks. Jesus gave thanks the night before he died for you in the garden. Hours before he was to be arrested and beaten and tortured and killed, he gave thanks. Listen, I don't know about you, but when I'm stressed or have some kind of hunger, whether it be physical or whether it be emotional or mental hunger or stressed out or whatever, the first thing I do is panic. First thing I do is stress and research. And the farthest thing for me to say would be, Lord, thank you for whatever you're about to do with this problem. Lord, thank you for whatever solution you're going to provide. Are we listening, church? Lord, thank you for whatever journey you're about to take me on. Thank you uh, uh, by faith. Thank you ahead of time. Thank you preemptively. Thank you that this problem is going to show your grace in my life. That this problem, this hunger is going to show me your provision. This fear is pointing me to you and I thank you for that. I just can't wait to see what you're going to do with this. That is not my first reaction and response oftentimes. Because whatever, whatever Jesus can do with that little kid's crackers and fish, he can do with your hungers and your fears and your problems. The scriptures continue on and says that he gave thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. Now this is, this is remember, this is a miracle here. Skeptics would say, well, once they walked out into the people, there was more food. No, no, this, this is a miracle of God. This is, this is God in the flesh as Jesus creating food out of thin air. We have to believe that he can do that because he can. He has total command and control over the material universe. That's what we're seeing here. Not just a good teacher, not just some kind of magic trick. A supernatural intervention is what we're witnessing in this story here. God in a human body proving that he was who he said he was. That's what's going on here. It's a miraculous occasion. You have to realize that. Amazing. Verse 12. Sorry, I haven't skipped to the next verses. Verse number 12. When they were filled, just think about that. They all ate. He said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. When Jesus provides, when Jesus solves those impossible problems and needs in our lives, listen, it's not just the bare minimum, it's not just what we need, but it's overabundant. It's above all that we can ask 
or think. That's the God that we have. Verse 14, we're finishing up. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth that prophet, and even, and even, the, even this, they, don't, they still don't get it, these people, that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come, take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And they, just, they didn't get it. These people did not get what was going on. They missed the whole thing. And Jesus does this amazing miracle. And what do they do? Instead of, of believing he is who he said he was, no, they say, this is, this is the guy. We're going to make him a king. I mean, this guy should be president. They, they just don't get it. They're focused on their own little country, on their own little small thinking, on their own agenda. And after all that, they missed it. They missed it. But we're here. We're here this morning. And this is where we're going to finish up, kind of see what this story means for us today. There's three principles I want to give you and we're done. Number one is this, okay? Jesus is the true and abundant satisfaction of my hungers. Jesus is the true and abundant solution to my problems. This is an impossible problem we see in John 6, coming into contact with an infinite God. That's what we see here. My core hungers, my impossible problems, which I have, however it sounds in your life, whatever your impossible problem is, in his hands, it changes everything. What's in my hands and in my power, listen, I can't do much with. Can I tell you something? That little lunch in the boy's hands is just a little lunch. It's just a little, it's just five loaves and two fishes. If he had held on to that and said, I, I think this is mine, that's all it would have stayed. It's just a little lunch, five loaves of bread, two stinking fishes, and that's it. But in the hands of the Savior, in the hands of the creator of the universe, man, that changes everything. And impossible problems are solved. And insatiable hungers are filled. And fears in our hearts are resolved through the hands of Jesus. Jesus knows my needs. Jesus knows your needs. And he knows, listen to this, and he knows what he's planning to do to meet them. Man, I need this message. I needed this message. Problems, and I read something to you, listen. Problems often exist to give us an expression of God's grace. Every problem, every fear, every hunger is an opportunity to either panic, dive into our own uh, solutions and thinking, or turn and give thanks and trust and express again the trust that I've placed in Jesus Christ. Problems are there in our lives, fears, hungers, problems, to show, to give us an expression of the grace of God in our lives. Nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible with God. I remember my family, when we were living in Michigan, we were at the, the Meyer, it's like the, the Walmart over there. It's a little bit cleaner than Walmart. The Meyer in Michigan. And we just had baby Donald. He was a baby then, he's 11 now. But we were at the store at Meyer around Christmas time. Just to be honest, we did not have any, really any money at all. The church we were working at couldn't pay us very much. We just didn't have a lot of money at all. And Donald had found this little bouncy ball that like when you hit it, kind of, uh, kind of did little lights and stuff. And uh, he was just sitting there chewing on it in the cart. And this lady walked by us. 
and said, that's so cool. I think my grandkids would love that. Where did you get it? And we're like, oh, man, like, we found it kind of on the shelf next to, like, you know, the dishwasher detergent. It was kind of in the wrong place. I don't really know. I said, but, you, you know, I'll wipe it off. You can have it, like, for your grandkids. We're not going to buy it. She goes, well, why not? Why aren't you going to buy it? And we're, we knew, like, well, we just don't have the money. To, but we didn't say that. We're just like, no, 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 seriously. We, we're not going to get it. Just take it, take it. And she goes, why aren't you going to get it? And we're like, no, 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 it's fine. And, and she takes out a $20 bill and says, I want you to get it for him, please. And I'll tell you, in that moment, that, that afternoon at Meyer in Jackson, Michigan, it was just 20 bucks. It was just a stupid little ball. But you know what it was for me that afternoon? It was a picture of the grace of God in our lives, in the small and the big, that he's enough for us, and he can take care of us, even in those small moments. And we bought that stupid little glow ball and gave it to him for Christmas. And I held on to it for about eight years, and I don't know where it is now, but because every time I saw that stinking little glow ball, I thought that I have a God who cares enough to take care of me, even with the small stuff. Can, church, can you trust Jesus? I'm talking about asking you the question. We know the, the answer is yes, but can you trust Jesus with your problems? Can you say today, thank you, Lord, I can't wait to see what you're going to do with these problems. That's hard sometimes. Jesus is the true and abundant satisfaction of my hungers. We see this next one. The world says that I'm defined by my hungers. I'm enslaved to my hungers. I belong to me. I'm going to do what it takes to fulfill this insatiable hunger. I'm going to do whatever it takes to fill this hunger. That's what the world tells us. But Jesus, church, can fill any hunger you experience, whatever it may be. Do you trust him? Do you trust him with your lunch, with that issue, with that problem, with your identity? Do you trust him with your marriage, with your singleness, with your children, with your career path, with your longing for significance and meaning and purpose? Do you trust him with that? With your finances, can you release it all to him? Every problem, every fear, every hunger, can you release it all into his hands? Because Jesus said in the scriptures, I am the Lord thy God, open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. Jesus said that. He said, trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. That's the God that we have. And the last one is this, Jesus is the true and abundant salvation for my soul. Jesus is the true and abundant salvation for my soul. Right now, church, we've been indoctrinated, really, to search for hope and to search for help and to search for escape and fulfillment and answers independently, autonomously, like by myself. I can do this. And we're told, don't give up your, you know, your individuality. Don't give up your autonomy. Be you. Decide what you are who you are, how you want to live. It's your life. I don't, and and we, people say, like, you know, I don't care what you think, Jesus. This is my life. These are my rights. And can I tell you that that is not only self-destructive thinking, but it's God-defying thinking. Autonomy, that, that kind of autonomy is, is your enemy. And Christians do this too. And I've done this too. Where we believe in Jesus, but we're not sure we can trust him. That's who we are, just like the disciples. We want heaven, but we still want our individuality and our, our autonomy, and I get to make the decisions here. We, we declare him, you know, we, we want the miracle of the feeding, but we want to hang on to our lunch at the same time. That's how we live, church. We declare him Lord, but we withhold ourselves from his true authority in our lives.
I want to decide. I decide. Jesus serves us in that kind of thinking. He operates within our framework. And that's not trusting Jesus. You know, I tell myself, that's not trusting Jesus. No, that is, that is forcing Jesus to bow to me. And that is a very small Jesus. Not a formula that leads to good places. True salvation. True salvation is that I come to him in sin and I trust him with my salvation and my soul's redemption. And, and, and after that, faith and, and that, man, that promise is fulfilled. All of my soul comes into rest in his good shepherding lordship that the world tells us is so oppressive and it's just not. Him in charge of my life is the best life I could ever live and it's the same for you. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is enough. He's enough, church. Right now, my family is in, man, an impossible problem with our housing situation. Our landlord wants us to leave by the end of August, maybe September. Gave us only a few months' notice. You know the market's a mess. I got to come up with $20,000, $25,000 for a down payment. There's nothing to buy anyway. And I'm telling you, I have struggled and battled these feelings of faithlessness. I have struggled and I have, I have been the, the Philip in the story of like, how, what are they among so many? Not, not even, 200 pennyworth wouldn't feed, wouldn't even give them a little bit. And I have struggled with this doubt and I've worried and I've stressed and I've lied awake at night and wondered what are we going to do. And church, I'm telling you, the Lord knew that I needed to come to this chapter, to these scriptures for this time in my life. We started this series in John eight, nine months ago. And the Lord knew that the month of August 2022, I was going to be in John 6 and I was going to need to remember and see that he is enough and that he can solve our impossible problems. He will make a way. I have to believe that, church. I believe, I'm standing up here this morning saying I believe that, I know that God is going to take care of us. God is going to take care of us. He's going to provide for us. He's going to give us what we need when we need it. It may not look the way I want it to look. It may not look the way I think it's going to look. But I believe this morning. And I say, help my unbelief, Lord. But I believe he will take care of us. He will solve our impossible problems. He is the God of enough. And he's enough for you. He's enough for your problems. He's enough for your fears. He's enough for your worries and your stresses and your problems and your past. He's enough. You serve a God that is enough. You have a Savior that loves and cares and has compassion on you. Even when we come to him selfishly, he's enough. He loves you and he wants to answer your problems. What did, what did we say at the beginning of this message? We said there are, when we trust Jesus, when we trust Jesus, there are no unmet needs, there are no unresolved problems, and there are no fears. He takes care of it all. That's the God that we have. Anybody can come to church, sit, sing, stumble through a song you don't really know very well, hear a message, and miss it. You could even agree with the message and say, yeah, that's true, I need that, and still walk out with zero change. Would you, would you just be real with God this morning? He already knows your heart. Remember he said in the, in the scripture? He already knew what he was going to do. He already knows what he's going to do to meet your need. He already knows what he's planning to do to meet your problem and, and, and fix your issue. But we must trust him. We must leave it in his hands. Lord, thank you for what you're going to do. I remember when I was traveling on the road before we moved here, I didn't know where we were going to live when we got here. 
I had no, I tried looking at Zillow and rentals, I couldn't find nothing. And I would go to church after church after church after church all across the country and say, we're going to start a church in the cave, support us. And people would say, where are you going to live, where are you going to live? And I'd say, well, I don't really know, but I can't wait to see what God does. And I said that, and I believed it. And as I got closer to moving out here, I got a little bit more nervous, but I still said it. And to my own shame, three years later, as we've been living in a beautiful house that God provided for us, and now we're kind of in, a, in another housing issue, I, I've struggled to have that same line of thinking. I've struggled personally, church, to say, hey, I don't know where we're going to live, but I can't wait to see what God does. Because you know why? This one seems bigger. It seems harder. It seems more challenging, but nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is a challenge for Him. He has no rival. He has no equal. <laughs> That's the God that we serve. That's the God that lives in you. God, would you help us this morning? Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the struggles and problems in my life. This housing situation, Lord, you know it's, it's just eaten my lunch lately. But Lord, I believe that you're going to take care of us. Whether you provide the funds needed or a house, whatever it is, God, it's going to be enough because you are enough. Increase my faith. And for everyone that sits in these chairs today that has an impossible problem, would you help them in faith to thank you and trust you? Lord, I thank you for the challenges of life that push me towards you. I thank you for the fears in life that cause me to rely upon you. I love you, and I thank you, and I ask you to be with us. And with these problems that we all face, you're a good, gracious, and, and enough Father. Be with us as we go. Bless our time together afterwards. In Jesus' precious name, we ask for all these things. Thank you again for listening to the Coastline Baptist Church Podcast. We hope the message was an encouragement to your heart. Please connect with us through our website, coastlinecc.org, or on Facebook or Instagram. Send us a message, send us an email, and we'd love to connect with you. We'd also love if you could visit us for a Sunday morning service. You can find our address on our website, and our services start at 10 a.m. Our mission at Coastline is simply this, to know Jesus deeply and to show Jesus daily. I hope that we've helped you do that in your life today. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.